God, we thank you for um, who you are and that um, in moments where we feel poor, powerless, lost, lonely, um, unworthy, hurting, that you are with us and you are near to us. And I thank you that through your Holy Spirit, even in moments of desperation, even in ho- moments of hopelessness, that you give us the um, strength, you give us the courage um, to cry out, to sing out hallelujah, to praise the Lord. So God, for those in the room this morning that are are in those moments of hurt, of pain, desperation, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would wash over them, that they would feel the abundance of peace um, that can only come from you, a peace that transcends all understanding. And God, we pray that um, you would make yourself known and make yourself present to all of us this morning, but especially the hurting. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so I thought I would start this morning um, by reading the scripture we're going to be learning about this morning. I always like to read the whole scripture so we can get the big picture of what we're looking at this morning. So we're going to be in Luke 12, uh, starting in verse 13. So if you've got Bibles, if you've got phones, you can flip them open, click them open, whatever you want to do there, and we'll be in Luke 12, starting in 13. So, Scripture says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The very word of God. Well, I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, it's always a privilege to open God's word with you and see what beautiful truths we can um, dig from it. We've been talking about generosity here the past couple of weeks. And we've learned that there's more to the conversation on generosity than just simply tithing. We've learned that our money doesn't own us, right? And we've also learned that we actually don't own our money either, right? Uh, we learned that where our money goes, right, is the same place our heart goes. And we've also learned that a key aspect of generosity is actually living in a community of discipleship with other people. And I don't know about you, but whenever the church talks about money, I'm kind of like, you know, like, and to be honest, like, pastors don't always love talking about money either, you know, like, kind of a tough subject. But this whole sermon series, I've been super encouraged and challenged by God's word that generosity isn't just about giving money to the church, but that it's an entire lifestyle as well. So this morning, as you look in your bulletins, right, you may have noticed kind of a weird, oh, and that's actually on the screen, uh, you may have noticed kind of a weird sermon title this morning. Um, and you might be wondering, what on earth could dragons possibly have to do with a sermon? Well, dragons can do a lot of cool things, right? Like, people are familiar with, you know, they breathe fire, they fly, they're really big, right? Pretty cool. Um, but one slightly lesser known thing about dragons is that they love gold and treasure. And a dragon loves nothing more than to find a big old pile of gold, plop itself down, and just take a nap. All right? Now, does the dragon need this gold? No. Does the dragon spend the gold on anything? No. All dragon's gold does is just sit and collect dust, right? And I guess it's used as a mattress, if you want to count that too. Now, today, we are going to hear a parable of Jesus that warns against the hoarding of material possessions. Now, Jesus doesn't mention dragons in the parable, unfortunately. I mean, because, like, wouldn't it be wild if Jesus mentioned a dragon in a parable? That'd be pretty cool. But, um, but it does warn against possessions, money, and earthly treasures, and keeping those things all to ourselves instead of using them to grow the kingdom of God and bless those around us. So today, we are going to learn how to be less like dragons and more like Christ followers. So let's pray to get started. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a pure word and that we can hear it and it can refine our souls. I thank you that... um, 
Even though your word can be hard to understand sometimes, that through your Holy Spirit, you can open our eyes that we might see how um, we need to adjust our lives so we can live a closer life um, in relationship with you. I pray that you would teach us your word so that we can live in it, and you would teach us your commandments so that we may walk in them. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so... First of all, in this passage, we kind of have a little bit of a problem. So whenever you read a parable, right, it's helpful to know the background of the parable, like the whom, the what, the why, all those kinds of things. So what leads up to this parable is there's this guy in the crowd, all right? We don't even get his name, right? We just get a someone, right? Someone in the crowd, while Jesus is teaching, tells Jesus, mind you, he doesn't ask Jesus, Right? He tells Jesus, hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Now, disputes like this were common in Jesus' day because the majority of the time, wealth is not something that you're going to earn. Right? It's pretty hard to climb the like socioeconomic ladder in biblical times. So if you want to get wealthy, your best shot at getting wealthy is inheriting money from someone. All right. So you can imagine when the opportunity comes along to inherit a large portion of money, people get a little feisty about it, right? And we can even relate to that a little bit today. We can all probably think of family disputes, maybe not even our own, over inheritances or possessions or money that are inherited. So we can understand that it can sometimes devolve into less than civil conversations. Furthermore, even though we don't get this guy's name who asks this question, there's a good chance that this man who asks the question is a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. Now, we don't know this for sure, but typically the people that call Jesus teacher are going to be Pharisees or teachers of the law. Usually, like, the disciples will go with, like, master or lord. Now, regarding Jesus' response, he, the question is, is how biting is his response? Because on one hand, it seems Jesus is being humble. Like, I'm not the judge or arbitrator here. Like, it's not on me to figure out. But I think it's way more likely that Jesus responds a little bit in a short, a short way because Jesus is not going to engage with a literal fool's errand. Like, Jesus is just finished talking about the end times. Like, if you look at the verses before the man asks the question, Jesus has just finished talking a little bit about the end times, and this man, like, interrupts the teaching to, like, ask about an inheritance. Like, talk about missing the point, right? Um, but because Jesus is a brilliant teacher, he seizes the moment to teach a lesson to Everyone. He turns and warns everyone to be on guard for covetousness or greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Which is actually our memory verse this week. If y'all are looking for a good verse to memorize this week, that's our memory verse this week. So we've frequently heard and studied the different words for love in Greek, right? You all, if you've spent any time in church for an extended period of time, you probably have heard about, like, there's agape love, phileo love, storge love, and eros love, right? But 
something I learned this week, actually, is that there's different words for life in Greek as well. So you've got bios, right, is one word for life. And that's like those of you that study biology, right? Um, biology is the study of life, right? Now, bios is like the uh, quantitative objective part of life, like lifespan or like how much money you have or material possessions, that kind of thing. Then you've got the word suke, all right, which is the word for like a spiritual life of a person, including relationships, values, and it's sometimes also translated as soul, right? Now, neither of those two words are what we have here. Um, The third word, and that's the one here, is Zoe. So those of you, if you know anyone named Zoe, that's where her name comes from, right? Zoe. This is the kind of life that is meaningful, satisfying, and therefore, as Christians, we would argue, only found in Jesus. This kind of life, Jesus says here, this meaningful, satisfying life, is not found in an abundance of material possessions. Which, I mean, come on, you could preach like a whole sermon just on that verse, right? Um, Like, why would I settle for a life of possessions when I have direct access to the one who possesses everything? Why would I settle for a life surrounded by stuff Right When I could spend a life surrounded by the presence of Jesus. But, if you're like me, so often biblical truths are easier discovered than they are applied. Right, So, this is part of the reason why Jesus gives this parable to his disciples. So, let's get to the parable itself. Right? So we've got this land of a rich man produces plentifully, and he has what we would say is the first world problem, right, of, I have so much grain, what am I going to do with it, all right? And so he decides he's going to build up more and more barns to hold his more and more stuff. He's going to kick back and live it up till the end of his life. But then as it turns out, unbeknownst to him, He is going to die this very night and not enjoy any of it. And that's the parable. Kind of a bummer, right, (laughs) at first glance. But this parable gives us a perfect example of someone who is living focusing on the kingdom of man instead of the kingdom of God. Now, when I look at parables, I typically divide them into three different categories. Now, just to warn you, I made these categories up. And they are very, very technical. All right, so bear with me. All right. Category number one. There is the, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus, parables. Okay? These are the ones that are hard to understand because they're parables, but they're, they're uh, also a ton of cultural differences between Jesus' time and ours. The second category is the, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus, but you explained it, and now I do, parables. Okay, so these are the parables where it's hard to know what Jesus is saying, but he, right after the sermon, or right after the parable, explains exactly what he was saying. Like, think the parable of the sower and the seeds, right? You're like, what on earth do all these seeds have to do with the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, this land is like this person, this land is like this person, right? And then the final category, which is the one we have today, is the, I know exactly 
what you're talking about, Jesus. And I don't think I like how clearly I understand it because it makes me uncomfortable, parables. And that, like I said, is what we have today. This parable, even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it is clearly relevant to our consumeristic culture and largely speaks for itself. So, in fact, I'm going to read it one more time just so it's fresh in our memories here. He says, um, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So like I said, Jesus is not pulling any punches with this parable, right? We don't want to be the, the guy or lady that Jesus calls fool, right? You don't want to be that person. So that being said, let's identify some warning signs we can have that we're focused on living in the kingdom of man. First of all, this man has an improper understanding of where resources come from. This man seems to think he's responsible for his amazing crop. But when it talks about what produced plentifully, who produces plentifully or what produces plentifully? It doesn't say the rich man produced plentifully. It says the land of the rich man produced plentifully. Now, those of you who have ever tried to grow things, whether you're like a farmer and you've tried to grow like mass amounts of things or you're just someone who likes to plant things in your garden, you know that even though there are certainly strategies you can follow to have a really good harvest, there is an element of farming or gardening that is absolutely outside of your control, right? Especially if you're someone who's farming mass amounts. And you can't just bring your crop inside when it gets cold, right, or rainy. There is a mass amount that you are not in control of. So even though it's the, the rich man's land, the land is what produces abundantly. And Psalm 104, 14 says, God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. The source of this rich man's amazing harvest is rooted quite literally, in the blessing of God, not the rich man's perfect farming strategies. Secondly, this man has an improper understanding of his role as a steward. Like if you look at your Bible and you look at this parable, look, about, look how many times this man says, me, my, and I in this passage. Like, what shall I do in order to store my crops? Of my barns, my grains, my goods, my soul. Like, it's a lot. This guy thinks that it's all whose? His, right? But we've, as but y'all are experts in this now, because we've talked about this a bunch of weeks, right? It's not his, and our resources aren't ours. Everything we have was entrusted to us by God, so that we can sustain ourselves, right? So we can take care of ourselves. But also to make it work in the kingdom of God, to bless others, to build up the kingdom. So he's got an improper understanding of where his resources come from, an, under, an improper understanding of whose they are, 
and an improper understanding of the point of life in general. This man is demonstrating what it looks like when someone does not heed the warning Jesus initiated in this par- in, with this parable, the be on guard against all forms of greed. The goal of life is not to store things up and then eat and drink and be merry. We may someday, right, have saved enough for ourselves to retire from our career, right? But we don't ever retire from being kingdom builders for the kingdom of heaven, right? The goal after we have retired from our careers is not to sit back, kick back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, right? It is a time for rest. I will, I will grant that. Rest is not bad, right? But we are still to be kingdom builders of God even after our earthly retirement. So this man with all his misunderstanding is called a fool by Jesus. He's done all this hoarding so he can come back later and relax, so he can take a nap on his gold, right? Like a dragon. But what happens? He dies and with his death loses all control of the resources he worked to gain. He doesn't get to enjoy them. And in fact, what question does Jesus ask? He says, whose are they? Does that question sound familiar? It's the same question, right, behind the man's command at the beginning of the parable. He says, teacher, tell me, my brother, to invite the inheritance with me, which is basically a question of who gets the inheritance? Whose money is this? Whose possessions is this? So you can hear in the end of Jesus's parable, he says, it doesn't ultimately matter, right? This man dies. Who is in control of his possessions? There's more to life than attaining riches and possessions. And it's not a guarantee of long life. And there's no guarantee of enjoying those riches. Then there's got to be a better way to use those resources. than just hoard them for yourself, right? For a security blanket. And that's exactly the explanation Jesus is going to give, is how can we better use it? All right? So this passage after this probably sounds a bit familiar. We've already looked at Matthew's um, discussion of this. But if you're like me, sometimes repetition can be good, right? Sometimes you need to hear things a few times for it to sink in. And um, furthermore, I like to see the whole argument of Jesus's uh, kind of talk, his sermon, so that we can get the big picture. Jesus says that we shouldn't command, worry about major needs of life. In fact, he doesn't even, I wouldn't even say he says or asks, he commands us, right? He doesn't say, like, don't be anxious if you want to. He says, do not be anxious, which is a command. Food, our bodies, and clothing are all important things. But we're not to be anxious about those things. For, um, for this time, the word for soul is more than food, and our bodies are more important than what we clothe them with. So you can picture, picture the scene with me for a second. Jesus is out in the open speaking to his disciples, and he looks out and he sees, consider the ravens, right? Consider the ravens. God cares for them. He feeds them, despite the fact that they don't farm, right? You can imagine 
kind of that funny picture of like little, ro- little crows with like trowels, right? And rakes and things, right? Crows don't farm. They don't have barns. And in fact, these birds in the Old Testament were considered unclean, right? They weren't looked on super favorably. But God still provides for them. And at first glance, you might think to yourself, is God telling me it's wrong to save money? Like, is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying at all, right? Elsewhere in Scripture, especially in Proverbs, there are multiple, multiple verses in the Bible about it being wise to save resources and money for later when you have an abundance. However, like anything, a good thing, like being, like saving, can become a bad thing, an idol, when it's placed before God and your trust in God. So Jesus is not condemning saving money. He's condemning hoarding money in a hyperabundance like a dragon because you don't trust God to provide for your needs. So let me just remind you all this morning of a simple truth of what we just talked about. You are worth more than birds to God. Sometimes in all of our worrying and our fretting, we forget that Jesus, we forget what Jesus reminds us of here. Not only are we worth more to God than birds, we are worth so much to Him. Like humanity was worth so much to God, He sent Jesus to die for humanity. So like, and we know that, right? We hear that. But do we, like, know that? And then Jesus goes on to ask if we can increase our, our lifespan by worrying. And to which all of us would say, of course not. If, if we could, I tell you what, I would be living to, like, 300. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but we can't add any anything to our lifespan by worrying about it. And so Jesus says, if you can't change that, don't worry about these other things you can't change. Worrying doesn't change a thing. Then Jesus brings up the flowers. So you can imagine him, maybe there were some ravens, maybe not, but this is just how I picture it. Consider the ravens. Then you can imagine they're outside. Consider the flowers. Right? And I remember going to Israel, and we were there in February, so there weren't a ton of like, flowers, but there were still flowers, right, in some of the warmer places, and as we've gone backpacking and you go into, like, mountain flowers, and you just, they just cover mountainsides when there's enough rain for it, and he says, look how beautiful the flowers are, yet they don't do anything to work for their beauty, but they outdo Solomon in their splendor, which, if you remember Solomon, like, Solomon is the epitome of extra, like, He had huge palaces, like he got an abundance of possessions for himself. He was wise, but he also grew his wealth to where it was exceedingly extravagant. And Jesus points out that the flowers are greater than he is in their beauty. And that if the flowers make the grass look nice, which is thrown into the oven the next day, how much more important are you than flowers? Once again, you are exceedingly more important to God than flowers. And so he will provide what you need, even more so. And so you can imagine, like I've said, Jesus is gesturing around to all these things. 
that people see around them in nature. And he turns back to them and says, but you, you do not seek these things. Be different than the culture, the surrounding world, the kingdom of man that seeks to just gain and gain and gain and gain. And then in verse 29, he says, uh, do not seek these things. And then he ends with, nor be worried. Now, what's interesting here is this word translated as anxious or worried is actually different than all of the other times worry is used in this passage. And this word is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. So you can't go anywhere else in the New Testament and find this word for worried. Now, it could be that Luke just used a different word, right? Like, those of you who are, have ever written anything, like a paper for school, I don't know if you've had the experience where you notice you've wor- used, like, the same word multiple times, and you're like, oh, I've got to go get my thesaurus and find a different word. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. So maybe that's what Luke did, but I don't think so. I think that Luke had a different intention here when he used it. A better translation of this word has connotations of making oneself high, lifting oneself up, or or being presumptuous, right? In other words, the rich fool, right? In other words, this man who is seeking his brother's part, a portion of his brother's inheritance. Don't presume that you don't need God to provide for you, and that in your own planning and hoarding, you have attained self-sufficiency from God, like the rich fool. This is my stuff, and now I can do what I want with my stuff and just chill, all right? That is what Jesus says not to do here. Do not be presumptuous. Don't Think you've gained independence from God with your stuff. And that is where saving becomes bad, right? Like I said, saving is good. So don't, don't go away from this thinking me telling you saving is bad. But what is bad is hoarding and keeping possessions for yourselves in an attempt to keep yourselves from trusting in God's provision for you. So then we have the challenge that Jesus gives his disciples and to us. So what should we do, right? If we're not going to hoard this, what should we do with it? He says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now, I had a swim coach in uh, high school, actually not even high school, I think elementary school. And she used to say, that your focus when swimming a race should not be winning, all right? In fact, what she would say is it is better to focus on your technique of swimming because if you focus on good technique, right, there's a greater chance you're going to win your race anyway, right? Whereas if I'm focused on winning and I'm just trying to flail my arms as fast as possible, like, and my technique goes down the tube, there's a good chance I won't win. But if I focus on my technique and I don't worry about winning the race, winning a race, there's a good chance that'll just be an additional positive consequence. Similarly, when we seek God, right, we, we can trust that God will provide us with the things we need. We don't need to worry or fear about them. If we're focused on the kingdom of God, a lot of times we will be provided with what we need as we do that. Right? So we don't have to worry about all these other things around us if we focus 
on the kingdom of God, a lot of those other things fall into place. We can have confidence in God's provision. We don't need to hoard things, right? God loves to provide for us. In Luke 11, a little bit before this, Jesus reminds his disciples God delights in giving his people good gifts. He uses the argument, if your your earthly fathers know how to give you a good gift, how much more so does your Father in heaven know how to give you good gifts and provide for you? We don't need to order our lives around money because we don't have anything to fear. We can feel confident giving our money away because we know we're cared for. And we can sell possessions, give to the needy, like Jesus challenges us to do, because we have a God that cares for us and provides for us. So, like, for example, like, this is kind of dark, but I, I think it's a helpful exercise. So, just take a minute and imagine that you lose everything you have, right? Your money, possessions, home, clothes, car, savings, literally everything to your name. Would you be all right? Would you be cared for? And I would argue yes. Because, like, look around the room, first of all. Like, I bet you can identify numerous people who, in this situation, this tragic situation where you lost all your possessions, would do everything in their power to be sure you're provided for. Right? Now, don't dwell on this, because it's a dark place to dwell for too long. But I think it's a good exercise to realize that, like, Ultimately, even without everything, if we have Jesus, we're all right. And that enables us a type of freedom to, to get rid of our hyperabundance of possessions. That not what we're saving in case, you know, I don't know, the cars, we need new tires on our car. Not that. But I'm talking about that abundance that just sits there because it helps us feel safe, independent, that we can not have to trust on God as much, because I know if something bad happens, I have this. Jesus, if you remember, sent his disciples out with no money bag. But here, he tells them they do have a money bag after all they should be working on. One in heaven. And the best thing about this money bag is it's secured by the Almighty God in a place where no thieves No moths, no rust exist. And the best part, the best part is that if we can place our money there, that is where our heart will be as well. We learned that our heart follows our money. So if we can put our money in money bags that don't wear out in heaven with God, that is where our heart will be also, in the loving arms of our Father who loves us and cares for us. So, worship team, you can come on up. So, my my final challenge to you all is this. Ask yourselves this question. Are you a dragon? Because maybe you aren't, right? Maybe you aren't. But take an honest look at yourself. And decide if you're beginning to trust too much in your saved possessions instead of trusting God. Because, like I said, maybe you're not. But if that is you, ask God to show you where your money really needs to go. Like, where are the needs in your community? 
Because Evansville has them. Like, there are so amazing nonprofits in Evansville. That's part of the reason why I love Evansville, is that Evansville is a community that genuinely cares about people. There are so many groups. Like, we went to, uh, Pete even I went to the Global Leadership Summit, and just, it was hosted by Four Evansville, and it's just a room full of nonprofit organizations of Evansville that seek to love and minister to the people in this community. Whether it is women with unexpected pregnancies, whether it is um, people who are struggling to make ends meet, whether it is kids falling behind in school, whatever it is, there are so many opportunities in Evansville to be a blessing to the community. And find one that, I think this is a P-Davism, that makes your heart sing, all right? You don't have to do what everyone else else does? Where, where is somewhere that you can give abundantly and also commit to praying for that organization, praying for those people, praying for the hurting? It's, it's great to just give money, but it's even greater to give money and give prayer, give spiritual, really invest. So bef- we're going to sing a couple songs here. Um, and our, our ultimate, our last song is called With Everything. And it's, it's a beautiful reminder of how we can and should and must worship God with everything we have. But I thought it would be a good r- idea to preempt that song with a reminder of a, in a different song of how, why we can do that. The song we're going to sing is Simple Theology right? But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful reminder that our generosity is a picture of God's generosity. What a powerful gospel that witness it is. We are generous. We are loose gripped with our money because Jesus is loose gripped in his love toward us. So first let's sing of his provision and his love for us. Then let's take communion, the physical representation of that provision, and let us rejoice and commit to provide for the hurting world around us.
that's what's on your mind. Remember when we're backpacking? <laughs> you go, oh my goodness, we, we're talking about craft macaroni and cheese like it's a, a feast, you know. Um, I don't know what you're hungry for today, but I know that God has a feast greater than you could ever, ever imagine. Doesn't look like much. Looks like a little loaf of bread here and a little cup of juice. But in that bread and in that juice is infused grace for you in your time of need. Are we yet where we want to be? No. Um, it's so convicting. I'm looking to you like it was you. It was the word of God through you. Um, no. But his grace is sufficient for us right now. And if God prompted you, um, there's some area of your life um, where you realize that you were like the guy in the parable. And how did Gene Rice put it? Your, your eyes were too close together, right? Thank you for that illustration. There's so many eyes in there, right? Um, then now is the time to lay it down. I'm going to stop. God trying to be God of my own life. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to rest on your grace. I'm going to come to your table. Take just one more moment, would you? And um, if there's anything hindering your relationship with God right now, invite him to both reveal it and then free you from it. Oh God, thank you um, that Christ died for our sins. He died for um, our inexpressible um, desire to be like you. But thank you. In his death, we gained the power to become like him. We can be like Christ. God, I pray as we come before you now that you would forgive us our sins, our self-centeredness, our me-focus. God, allow us to lift up our eyes and gaze on your beauty and to be freed from that brokenness and pain. Beloved, if you have confessed your sins today, I want you to know this for certain. That Christ has forgiven you. He's overcome the power of sin, disease, and, and even death. And right now, right now, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. So come, beloved, to the table of the Lord. Be filled with his presence. Be filled with his grace. And find strength and help in your time of need. Beginning with those of you in the back, if you would stand and begin to make your way down the side aisles to come to the table of the Lord, then take the elements, go back to your seats in the center aisle, and hold the elements, and we'll partake of them together.
the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks to the Father, he gave it just to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. I don't know if you felt a little overwhelmed in, in the word a little while ago. And how can I, how can I change a, a life, God? I, I'm 65 years into these patterns, God. How can I change? You can't, but he can through you. This is his body given for you. Do this, beloved, in remembrance of you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, let's, let's begin again. All things are made new through me. This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many. Us here, those of you watching online, but many more who have yet to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. This cup is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So do this in remembrance of him. Stand with us. Let's worship God together. 